Hi, I'm Annie Fitzsimmons. I'm your Washington Realtors Legal Hotline lawyer. And I am joined today by my good friend, Sabrina Jones-Schroeder. Hello, Sabrina. I'm a designated broker owner of Exit Real Estate Professionals in Spokane, Washington. Queen of everything, I like to say. <laughs> Uh, today's video is another in our series discussing stuff you have to know so you might as well know it and do it well or something like that I can't remember the name of our video <laughs> series but it's, it's this video and, and thank goodness our producers are abundantly competent and they know which video series to tag this one into <laughs> with all of that as background we are going to talk today about teams teams and the reason I'm putting it in quotes is because it's a it's a industry term it's not a legal term legal being the, the license law or even the agency law teams is not a statutory concept teams is a um, construct within our industry so there is no particular example of what a team should or shouldn't look like teams can be two people all the way up to 200 people and anywhere in between and, and even more than that. There's no rule about what a team is. But there is one really bright line rule about who can manage a team. Sabrina, you wanna take this part? Sure, absolutely. So the Department of Licensing is very clear about this, that if you are a team leader, then you have to be licensed as a managing broker. So, so a team leader, um, someone who is going to have supervisory control over other licensees uh, has to be uh, licensed as a managing broker. That's what managing brokers do is supervise. So um, from a practical perspective, if you want to create a team, uh, let's say you work for a firm and you've decided you've grown your business to a point where you're going to hire a, a licensed assistant or you're going to hire a buyer specialist or you're going to hire a, a listing specialist. Um, a couple of things you need to, to keep in mind, number one, is you have to be appropriately licensed if you're going to be supervising um, these other licensees, so you have to go out and, and get that managing broker's license. Um, but you also need to be in conversation with your designated broker and have an appropriate delegation agreement in place where your designated broker has delegated authority to you to act in that supervisory capacity once you've earned the managing broker's uh, license level. So I think this is a tough conversation to have because with, with respect to many teams, what Sabrina just said is right. But remember, there's no definition of team. Mm -hmm. And so I can also, well, Sabrina will, will agree with me. There, a team can be a, a, a pair of spouses, right? And the Department of Licensing has said, you can call yourself a team, uh, two spouses can call themselves a team, but we at the Department of Licensing are not about to decide who between the two of you is actually exercising control. You guys are gonna have to figure that out and we're not gonna require any managing broker licenses in that mix. But take uh, out that definition of team, I can also envision a, a situation where a team could be two people who simply cover for each other or, or four, four brokers who are each independently competent and productive and they've each got their own client list that they're working with. But if I need you to cover for me in a quick instant, I know I can call on you. And so we call ourselves a team because we each service our own clients, but, but we've got each other's backs. And so we call ourselves a team. 
but I'm not telling you what to do and you're not telling me what to do. So I can envision a scenario where you have a team of more than one per, well, obviously more than one person, a team of, a team, and nobody has a managing broker's license. The requirement is that if you um, supervise or exercise control over another broker in the provision of real estate brokerage services. So the difference in what Sabrina explained to you and what I'm explaining is really reality or boots on the ground versus a theoretical paper kind of view of things. I, I can envision a team operating in this way. Mm -hmm. I think what I heard Sabrina say is, you can envision that all you want, <laughs> but it's, it's really simple for even a team structure to start out that way to evolve or expand into this thing where maybe this group of four says, okay, we're so productive, but we'd be more productive if we had a transaction coordinator. Mm -hmm. So let's the four of us together hire a licensed assistant. Well, now all of a sudden we've gone from four people in my initial definite or my initial structure, nobody needing a managing broker's license to all four of you needing a managing broker's license because you're all four supervising and exercising control over this licensed transaction coordinator depending, however, on what it is that you're asking the transaction coordinator to do. Because you only need a managing broker's license if you're supervising or exercising control over a real estate broker in the provision of real estate brokerage services. So is your transaction coordinator engaged in the provision of real estate brokerage services? Are you gonna draw a really hard line and say, transaction coordinator, we want you to do all of this, 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 but when you get to this line, you have to stop because you're not allowed to engage in real estate brokerage services because we're not licensed as managing brokers? It, it, it's, a, it's a really blurry line if, if you want to toe that line. Well, and it's, and it's a slippery slope when it comes to those licensed assistants, licensed folks. Um, and, and as we're fond of saying, as you're fond of saying, Annie lives in the ivory tower of real estate law. Right. And then we operate down in the mud and the muck of the trenches of, of, of real estate. And the reality is that team of four, and I, and I do envision and, and see where there could be that team of four that are truly, truly equal partners. Um, they've labeled themselves as a group um, and I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but let's just insert right here very quickly that as a team, uh, make sure that if you want to advertise, you have an assumed name that's been approved by the Department of Licensing, there's a process. That name cannot have in its actual name anything that makes it appear like a firm. It can't have the term real estate in it or firm. It should have terms more like group. Um, Team. Uh, team, obviously. So this group of four that has put together this group, we'll just call it, I could envision that scenario where they're truly equal, nobody exercising supervisory, um, supervisory control over anyone else, but it only takes one little thing to all of a sudden we've pushed that team down the slippery slope. And now all the team members have issues, the designated broker has issues, yep. the firm has issues. So um, it's just something for the team to be aware of and the designated broker to be aware of as well. Okay, I agree with you. Let's set that issue aside uh, because I think we could spend a lot longer talking about it, looking at other scenarios, but I think, I think we have to set it aside for a moment. And let's pick up this, you started talking about advertising. Mm -hmm. Let's go there. If you are going to advertise in the name of your team, you must also 
advertise in your firm's name as licensed. Your firm's name as licensed must be included on all advertising in a clear and conspicuous manner. The only way you avoid the obligation to include yep. your firm's name as licensed in a clear and conspicuous manner is if your firm has done what Sabrina alluded to a minute ago. If your firm has gone out and gotten for you, because you can't get this on your own, only your firm can get an assumed name license for your firm. So if I was the Annie Fitzsimmons team, my firm would have to get a license, an assumed name license for me in the name of the Annie Fitzsimmons team. My firm would then own the license, mm -hmm. the assumed name license, but with that license in place, I could now license, I, I could now advertise as the Annie Fitzsimmons team to the exclusion of my firm's name. Because in fact, I would now, I would now still be advertising in the name of my firm as licensed because now my, my firm has yet another licensed name. Yeah, and I'd only add on to that that some firms may have a different policy with regard to yep. that. The Department of Licensing authorizes teams to advertise under an assumed license name, no problem. However, your firm may say, that's all well and good, but you will still have the firm name somewhere on, say that for sale sign. Right, and some firms, your firm might not even get you an assumed name license. Your firm might say you don't need an assumed name license. You can advertise as the Annie Fitzsimmons team all day long without an assumed name license so long as you also include the firm's name as licensed in a clear and conspicuous manner, and, and you're required to do that as part of our office policy, so you don't need an assumed name license. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, team members, because remember, if you get an assumed name license, your firm owns that assumed name license. If you decide you wanna to go to another firm, that firm still owns your assumed name license. So mm -hmm. there's not, it's not all you know, sunshine and roses in that regard. Sticking on the topic of advertising, false or deceptive advertising is unlawful. The Department of Licensing says it is false and deceptive advertising for team members to advertise team statistics as their own. For example, it would be unlawful for a team leader to say, I had 500 transactions last year. If in fact the team leader is the team leader of a team of 20 and that 20, the to total number of transactions for those 20 people was 500, it would be unlawful for the team leader to say, I had 500 transactions. Mm-hmm, correct. And equally unlawful would be putting that team leader's name on all the team contracts in an effort to then lay claim to, say, all of those 500 transactions. Wait a second, Sabrina, when you say the team contracts, you mean each individual purchase agreement, right? Each individual purchase agreement. So let's say, go back to your team, the Annie Fitzsimmons team, let's say that you are the rainmaker, the team leader, and you've hired three other people to be your team members. Let's just say you're appropriately licensed as a managing broker and you have your delegation agreement in place with your designated broker um, and you send your three uh, buyers agents out you're the one you're the rainmaker like I said you're generating all of the leads and sending those buyers out and you send them out into the world and you say put my name on the contract put Annie Fitzsimmons on every purchase and sale agreement that you write for these buyers um, that's also not acceptable if if Annie doesn't have anything to do with those contracts S Sabrina is 100% right and this is something the department is, is disciplining for and, and I, I just want to flush it out a little further just to make it really clear. So I'm the team leader, Sabrina is one of the brokers on the team. Sabrina goes out and meets a buyer, I might have even given her the lead, mm -hmm. but I've never met with the buyer, I've never talked to the buyer, I've never consulted or provided real estate brokerage services to the buyer or maybe I had one phone call and then I sent Sabrina out to them. Sabrina meets with them. Sabrina shows them houses for three weeks. Sabrina writes eight offers before the ninth one gets accepted. 
Sabrina meets their kids. Sabrina learns about their finances. <laughs> Sabrina negotiates the transaction. Sabrina brings it to, to, to mutual acceptance. I maybe had one phone conversation with these buyers or maybe I didn't have any at all. And my, my, firm, my team policy is to say, my name shows up as the buyer's agent. Or maybe even in conjunction, Sabrina's name and my name show as buyer's agent. That is a false and deceptive practice. And the injury is twofold. Number one, the buyer, buyer has a reason to believe that they've got two brokers representing them when they don't. There's only one broker who's been representing them in this transaction. And the second is that the purpose for a team leader to do that is to create a false impression of their statistical output. They, it creates the impression that they've been involved in more transactions than they have been, so they can then turn around and advertise that they've handled all these transactions when in reality they didn't handle these transactions. False and deceptive advertising. Don't do it. And besides the false and deceptive advertising, you have the, the very practical regulatory issue of you've now have a team leader who has her name on a bunch of different contracts that she has no knowledge of and a designated mm -hmm. broker who is responsible for all of it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So not only is it false and deceptive advertising, it's misrepresentation of agency too. Absolutely. At, at, at its um, most basic core. Teams. Team is representing some sellers, some buyers. The goal, I would imagine, for most teams is that within the team, you represent both the buyer and the seller. Team leader, if you are a managing broker and you've had delegate in the de designated broker has delegated authority to you to maintain the transaction folders for the broker's license to your team or designate a broker if you haven't delegated that authority then what I'm about to say applies to you because you are responsible for maintaining these transaction folders and for preserving client confidences. Sabrina, what does that look like within a team structure? I just got a listing. I'm really excited about it. I want to come back and tell everybody about it, including the fact that the seller set the price at 500, but they're really anxious to sell and we need a buyer fast. <laughs> so the team leader has an agency, rep uh, agency relationship with that seller. Um, that relationship does not necessarily extend to the team members. And so if you've got a team member working with a buyer, uh, they run right out to that buyer and they say, hey, my, my team leader, Annie, listed this great house. It's listed at X and, and the seller has a job transfer and they have to be out right away and they're super motivated, fire sale, let's bring a lower offer. Um, so you have to be very careful in those team situations of disclosing confidential information and anything that would, would lead to buyer or seller motivation um, would be likely deemed to be confidential. Any con yeah, any confidential information, and you, you, it's up to you to know what is or isn't confidential information. Mm -hmm. That's a different video series. We talk about that in the agency <laughs> law series, which we're not going to go into today. Mm -hmm. But um, again, I, I'm going to be a little bit more black and white even than Sabrina was. It's not most of the time. It's 100% of the time. The team leader, if the team leader is the person whose name appears on the listing agreement, nobody else on the team represents the seller. The team leader is the one and only seller's agent. Designated broker is also a seller's agent, but we're talking about team members. Maybe it's not the team leader. Maybe, again, let's say I'm the team leader and Sabrina's one of the brokers on our, my team. Sabrina goes out and lists this property. I'm not the listing broker on this property. You look at paragraph two of the listing agreement and her name shows up, not mine. Mm -hmm. Then 
I don't represent the seller. I represent any buyer who might come along and want to purchase the property. Sabrina can't tell me what's motivating her seller to sell quickly. And the only way she could is if I gained the appointment of sub-agency from my designated broker to also represent the seller. Annie, what about that agency form that's in our statewide forms packet? Form 1S, the sub appointment of sub-agency, is that the one you're talking about? Not the appointment of sub-agency, but the one that's specifically geared towards teams, and I'm sorry I don't remember the form number right now, but where other team members are assigned to represent the seller. Would that change the scenario? Uh, so, the, the, okay, so let's talk about the forms that are available. There's Form 1S, which is an appointment of sub-agency. So mm -hmm. in our scenario, let's say I needed to make Sabrina, I'd already disclosed information to her inadvertently, and, and I need to make her an agent of the seller. My designated broker could use Form 1S, S is in sub-agency, to appoint Sabrina as also a sub-agent of the seller. Looking at that form, you can get a temporary or a permanent appointment of sub-agency. You might be referring to, I think it's 22X, I think is the name of, is the numbering of the firm, of the form, which just provides more disclosure opportunities. Of t the team member names. But I think 22X is for multiple parties to sign. I That's think it's, easy. I think it's a 41, I think it's in the 41 mm -hmm. series. But anyway, there, Sabrina's right, there's another form that um, allows more opportunity for disclosure of, of brokers um, affiliated with the transaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But again, you don't create agency. agency through disclosure. So it would be a misrepresentation. In that scenario, let's say Sabrina had not been appointed as a sub-agent of the seller, only, I, my, only my name's on paragraph two, there is no form 1S, I exclusively represent the seller. Even if she's my licensed assistant, she's not representing the seller unless she's got an appointment of sub-agency. If she's got an appointment of sub-agency, then she is also representing the seller, mm -hmm. and then her name would need to show up on a form, I think it might be 41C, I couldn't swear to that, but I think it might be a form 41C that is additional space to disclose the names of other brokers representing parties in the transaction. Is that what you were thinking about? That's what I'm thinking about, and I'm just wondering if that's if a team leader would use that as a way to say, everybody on my team represents every client. And I'm not sure that that gets you there, to it, be it definitely doesn't get you there. Yeah. Because you have to have the appointment of sub-agency from yeah. the firm, yeah. or else or else you don't, you, you can't create agency through a representation of agency. You can only create agency through an agreement, a, an agency agreement. So don't use that form as a team leader thinking, oh, this takes care of that because I've disclosed it. Hey, seller, hey, buyer, here's my team members that also represent you. That's not going to get you there. Right. That's right. A little bit easier if you're representing the buyer than if you're representing a seller, mm -hmm. but just create a bright line rule that says you don't do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the last thing that we need to talk about um, with respect to teams, oh, I think that was it. The last one was agency disclosure, and we kind of looped that in mm -hmm. to that one. Mm -hmm. Anything else you can think of that's important with respect to teams? I, I think it's a, a definitely a business model that is here to stay. There's a lot of teams out there in our industry. I'm just concerned that we have folks acting in that rainmaker team leader capacity that are not appropriately licensed and don't have the appropriate delegation agreements in place. And again, it's problematic not only for the team leader and the team members, but for the designated broker as well. So it's just something to delve into within your own firm. Make sure everybody's dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Yep. I couldn't say it better, so I won't try. <laughs> I'll just say, if you have questions on this or any other topic, send an email to me, legalhotline at warealtor.org. Thank you for being a Washington Realtors member.